Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Here is our John Farrow with the Secretary of Labor. Let's listen. I'm very pleased to say on TV, on radio, we're joined now by U.S. Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh, to get the White House response to these tremendous jobs numbers that we've seen so far this morning. Mr. Secretary, great to have you with us this morning. Let's get straight to it. Demand's been stellar for a while now. We've been waiting for the supply to turn up. Are you confident we're seeing signs of that with this jobs report this morning? We certainly are. I mean, I think adding 4 million jobs since the inauguration of President Biden, uh, an average uh, of, uh, you know, 800,000 plus jobs over the last three months. Uh, we're seeing our economy moving forward. Uh, we're seeing people going back into all sectors. It's not just leisure and hospitality, although that was our biggest gain again this month. But we saw people in education and in, in, uh, government education and also in manufacturing. So we're starting to see different sectors getting busy as well. Mr. Secretary, what do you think is driving those supply constraints starting to ease just a little bit. What do you think is driving that? Some people have pointed towards the expired unemployment benefits in some states, half the states across this country. What do you think it is? I think as more people vaccinated, more people feeling comfortable now, we obviously have to keep an eye on the Delta variant and where that takes us. But I think people are feeling safer going out. When you go to a restaurant, more and more people are coming out. Uh, here in Washington, I see more and more people doing, doing on those tour buses. So people are starting to travel. We're seeing more travel in airports. So it's comfort. It's, it's people feeling safe. 70% of the American population has at least one vaccination shot. But we have, to, we have to be very cognizant of the Delta variant and make sure we don't let that spike get out of control. A higher wages making it happen. Do we need a higher price to bring that supply back in line with demand? 4% wage growth. Mr. Secretary, do you, th- do you think we do? We need to see more of this. Well, I think a higher wage, wage growth is good. It's good for the American worker. It's good for people going back to work. I think in some sectors, we're definitely going to need to see higher wage growth for people to come back to work. Uh, but, but I think where we're headed right now, I mean, all signs are incrementally going in, in a good, positive direction. Companies are starting to respond on the vaccine front. Tyson Foods requiring all staff to be vaccinated by November 1st. We heard the same from United Airlines. From your standpoint, is this something you and the administration support? Companies mandating vaccines for their labor force? Certainly, the president said he supports companies when they put those mandates in place. Uh, he's taking a different, we're taking a different approach to the federal government. We're, we're, we're asking people to get vaccinated, and if they don't get vaccinated, we're going to do lots of testing. So anything that we can do to encourage people to get back into the workforce is important. I think there are people that don't want to get vaccinated because of whatever reason it might be. Some people have good, legitimate reasons, but the majority of people that aren't getting vaccinated, it's a political thing, and it shouldn't be a political, a political issue. If it is a political thing, sir, why do you think minority groups in some cities like Washington Washington, D.C., the city you're in, like New York City, why some of those minority groups have not been getting vaccinated, why those vaccination rates are so much lower. Is it just politics or is something else happening? No, I think in the communities of color, particularly in urban areas, it's a distrust in the healthcare system over generations. Uh, I seen it when I was mayor of Boston, and we had to do a lot of work to go out there and build trust in the community. Uh, People of color, particularly African-American community, uh, felt in some cases abandoned by the hospital systems over years. So we have to do more work there to encourage people to get vaccinated. And that's the issue at play right now. 
So, Mr. Secretary, I wonder what your thoughts on the following might be. If we're in a position now where large companies are starting to say, if you're not vaccinated, you can't work for us, where cities like New York are starting to say, if you're not vaccinated, you can't dine here, when you and I both know the vaccination rates of minority groups just aren't high enough, are you worried that they might be frozen out of this economy? You know, I'm concerned, but, we, but it's, it's also outreach and marketing. We have to go out into the communities and talk to people to make sure people are comfortable with the vaccine. So you can't just arbitrarily say in, in certain communities in America, like, for example, in Boston, the communities of color that, you know, force people to get vaccinated. We have to go out and do an educational component of why it's important to get vaccinated, just like we had to do an educational component at the very beginning of the pandemic to express why it was important to wear masks, physical distance, wash your hands and do all of those things. So what are you doing right now to make that happen? What does the outreach look like? Well, I mean, I think a lot of it's, it's going to be up to local governments. I think that, that you know, we're going to be working with mayors in, in, in states around the country about that to reach out there. And I know that the COVID task force at the White House is working on it as well right now. Uh, I haven't had a meeting with them in the last couple of weeks, but I know that they're working on how do we deal with this issue of the, the people in America that have decided not to get vaccinated for whatever reason they are. How can we encourage them to get vaccinated? So it's still, it's still a work in progress. Do you think we need to get past this lazy media narrative that it's just politics, that there's much more yeah. going on? Say that one more time, I missed that. Do you think we need to move past the lazy media narrative that this is just politics, that there's more going on in this country? You touched on the distrust of government. That's a lot more pervasive than I think some people are willing to acknowledge, Mr. Secretary. Would you agree? Yeah, there's no question about it. And I'm not acknowledging it because I saw it firsthand as the mayor of the city of Boston. But, but, but I do think there's a lot, I think a lot of this also has to do with politics. I think that, that you know, when you look at some parts of rural America, you look at some parts of what's happening down in Florida, uh, people refusing to get vaccinated. Uh, it, it's not a political issue. Getting vaccinated is not a Democrat or Republican issue. It's not a progressive or conservative issue. It's about taking care of yourself and your family and your livelihood and keeping yourself alive. So I wish it wasn't political. It shouldn't be political. Uh, wearing masks shouldn't be political. It has nothing to do with politics. It's about your public health. It's about keeping yourself safe. And ultimately, it's about keeping our economy moving forward and keeping our country moving. Mr. Secretary, I know you've got to keep moving. You've got a busy morning this morning. Thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. The U.S. Secretary of Labor there, Marty Walsh. From New York City, for our audience, worldwide on radio on tv this is bloomberg jeff rosenberg joining with blackrock and what's so important here is so holistic and fixed income and doing wonderful work in multi-strategy as well is it a regime change today jeff rosenberg when you see the revisions when you see 1.881 non-farm payrolls over 60 days does it shift the blackrock view you know, it's a, it's a really good question, Tom, because I was thinking the exact same thing that, you know, we've had a lot of kind of negative surprises, you know, focused really on the Delta variant. You know, it's important to re remember that this payroll report is really pre the CDC mask wearing change in guidance. It doesn't really incorporate some of those more recent changes. Yet, to the extent that we follow the pattern that we've seen in India and the UK, where the variant surges, but it's not a permanent surge. You know, we could be seeing kind of the peaking of the, the, the negative news that has, has been really about the second derivative and the slowdown. And that's manifested itself in a pretty protracted rally in interest rates, you know, since interest rates peaked at the beginning of March. I think the next focus here, and you were just talking about it in terms of average hourly earnings, Mike McKee spot on, it's really hard to digest and, and decouple the mixed shift 
shift from the underlying data, but it's a strong print, even with the mixed shift that Mike was highlighting. And that's really gonna turn the focus on inflation. If we add labor market strength, and let's be clear, this is a very strong report uh, across all metrics. There's, there's very little that you can point to here that's disappointing. And if we add to that, you know, some signs of a broadening out from that inflation that we're seeing in the, in the wages here, you know, this could be that regime shift in terms of the direction that we've had on interest rates that you were asking about. Jeff, if the Fed meeting was tomorrow, what would they decide? Well, I think you hit it, or someone talked about the taper discussion. I, I, you know, it's important here. The Fed is very focused to separate the interest rate tightening path from the tapering discussion. And so, when you look at that bond market reaction, and and earlier, you know, we were looking at talking about the two-year versus the back end of the curve. Still, a pretty muted response in the very short maturities of the Treasury market. The actual in the back end of the curve. And that tells you that, you know, the, the market is separating the path of tightening from the pace or the calendar uh, on tapering. I think, you know, if anything, it pulls forward maybe tapering, but the Fed's being very clear. They want to avoid the taper tantrum. And remember, the taper tantrum was about the market conflating ta uh, tapering with earlier tightening. This is not going to be an earlier tightening, but it could be an earlier tapering. And Jeff, that's exactly what President Kaplan tried to do this week, aggressively de-link his commentary about QE from any kind of idea about hiking rates anytime soon. Mike McKee, I want to bring you back into the conversation. Is there reason to believe that this can persist, these jobs gains can persist into September? And was this a stress test for the theory that if you remove additional unemployment insurance, the workers will show? Some people have made that argument. I don't hold a position here. I'm just wondering, Mike, is there proof of that this morning? No, there's no proof of it this morning. Uh, we don't have data that show that. The research that has been done suggests there has been no effect from it overall. In about two weeks, we'll get the state employment numbers, and we'll see if any particular states that cut off unemployment benefits see a rise. Uh, but one thing that may be at work here, John, is that in the summertime, schools are never in session. So the daycare issue may have not been a problem uh, in the sense of the seasonal adjustment uh, that is done because they expect people to be out of the labor force to a certain extent taking care of their kids. Uh, and let me also mention that uh, the education component that was expected to add to jobs certainly did. Uh, jobs in education, uh, 223,000 more in the seasonally adjusted uh, area than in non-seasonally adjusted. So they've added 223,000 jobs to the total. Otherwise, we would have had 720,000. Yeah. So definitely a major seasonal adjustment uh, question here. But uh, the issue is, does anybody at the Fed really care about seasonal adjustment in when they're trying to think of uh, whether it's substantial additional progress? Jeff Rosenberg, as an investor, what do you do with this information? Well, as we, as we talked about, I think this is a possible shift here in the rate dynamic. Uh, you know, we, we really 
have to follow this up with some inflation data if, if, that's, gonna, if that's really going to be the case. But just going back to the, the labor market piece, because you, know, you look at what's driving the Fed and, and, and market expectations around the Fed, and it's, it's, it's labor markets and it's inflation. And on the labor market side, this is certainly contributing to accelerating mostly the taper discussion. I think the Fed's going to do a lot to try to separate out taper from, from tightening. And I think that's the main takeaway. I want to just add that there is some little piece of information here that participation rate did tick up a tenth. That's quite helpful. Uh, we're going to be focused on that participation rate as we roll off the rest of the unemployment insurance to see whether the supply side starts to ease and mm. you start to see the labor market grow from that end. Jeff, does this report change the balance of risks with respect to overheating in the economy or perhaps going into more of a stagflationary environment? I don't think it does. I mean, I, I think that you've had that balance of risk. You know, look at Clarita's uh, speech from a, a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the balance of risk that he highlighted is, is to the upside on inflation. And while that, you know, there's certainly hawks and doves both within the Fed and within the market, I think that balance of risk to higher inflation uh, right. is something we had before the report, but certainly this report, particularly, you know, what Mike highlighted on average hourly earnings, uh, only reinforces that risk on, yeah. on the balance of risks being towards higher inflation. Uh, John Farrow, uh, Jason Furman with a blistering tweet. He's never seen a more constructive report like this. He calls it a wonderful set of data. Neil Dutta is heated. This is a massive start to Q3. It's what we all wanted to see. Jeff, it's good to catch up, sir. Jeff Rosenberg of BlackRock. Gina Martin-Adams now on the equity market consequences. Gina... I see a churn to equities, but nevertheless, a VIX that signals a bull market. Neil Dutta at Renaissance suggests this is a bang-up start to Q3. How will that change the Standard & Poor's estimate game? Yeah, I think that analysts are still pretty cautious, frankly, on the outlook. And certainly what we've seen over the course of the last six weeks or eight weeks or so is a rotation into more defensive strategies really driving the market higher. So to the degree that we have much faster than expected growth and persistent growth, those two things are very important. If we get both of those over the course of the next several quarters, we're going to continue to see upward estimate revision. So far, analysts are only revising estimates higher because second quarter numbers beat. And that's been consistent throughout the entire pandemic. Analysts are very cautious with respect to the outlook. And even though numbers are still going higher, they're only going higher because companies are telling them that they should go higher. It's not that analysts are getting overly mm -hmm. optimistic. So if we continue to see numbers like this, we're going to see upward estimate revision all the way into 2022. How has use of cash changed or your guesstimate of use of cash? Robert Schiffman published moments ago of a 40 billion share buyback at Microsoft. They've got the powder to do that, et cetera, et cetera. In all of Bloomberg Intelligence, how has use of cash changed to sustain this bull market? Yeah, so so far this year, it's all been it's been all about buybacks and MA. 
those two things have really been the dominant factors behind cash utilization by companies. So the degree that they're willing to part with their cash, which is still a limited amount of companies doing so, they're spending it on re-engaging in buybacks that they cut in 2020 and increasing buybacks over time. They're also buying companies. We are seeing M&A trends improve and we've seen that really since 2020. What they're not doing so far, and I think where we have the greatest potential to sustain a longer term, faster pace of economic recovery is capital spending. Companies are still not parting with their cash in the most optimistic method, and that is spending it on future business potential. Uh, outside of buybacks and M&A. So we've got to see capital spending improve. There's certainly capacity to do so just to get back to average share of capital spending relative to sales. We should see CapEx rise 25% over the course of the next 12 to 18 months. If we get that kind of figure, that's going to increase the confidence that analysts have and certainly increase the durability um, and the perceived durability and rate of growth that we likely are going to see over the course of the cycle. Gina, stick with us. We're just sort of parsing through the numbers. Michael McKee is looking at the more granular aspects of this report. And when we talked about the dissonance between corporate earnings coming in so much hotter than people had expected, yet economic data lagging behind, perhaps the economic data just hadn't caught up with itself, Mike. What are the details? Well, we're looking at revisions to the prior months. You add in uh, the numbers that were uh, added back for June and May. 938,000 jobs were created in June. We had thought that was 850, so a significantly better report for the month of June and uh, total 119,000 over those two months. So job creation has been a lot stronger than we had thought it was. We had some reports we thought were disappointing. Turns out they weren't as bad. Meanwhile, Gina Martinette, I'm still with us, and I'm looking at the action in the equity market in response to this. Pretty much as you would expect, NASDAQ futures way underperforming the S&P, which is basically flat. NASDAQ futures uh, are down a little less than a half a percent, or they were in just a couple minutes ago. I'm wondering, from your perspective, if the NASDAQ can post gains through year end if Treasury yields continue to rise. Very unlikely. Um, At least they will lag. The Nasdaq should certainly lag the S&P 500, the more cyclically oriented sort of value centric segments of the market should rise faster in an environment where rates are rising and inflation expectations are rising. In my mind, the, the, the recovery that we saw in the Nasdaq and big cap tech in particular over the course of the last couple of months was really about analysts and and investors generally getting a little bit more cautious about the growth outlook. So if you continue to have surprises on growth, continue to have surprises on inflation numbers, that trade depletes over the course of the rest of of the year. Gina Martin Adams, thank you so much. Too short a visit this morning. The only reason Jerome Schneider agreed to appear with us this morning was Scherzer, Max Scherzer, Killed it for the Dodgers in the last 48 hours. Oh, yeah. Striking out 10 against the Astros. Schneider is so befuddled by West Coast baseball. That's the only reason we got him on air. He's dazzled. I mean, Jerome, it's fun. From Seattle on down to San Diego, it's West Coast baseball time, isn't it? It, it is. It is. Unfortunately, you know, the uh, the Angels sort of are hit and miss. And, you know, well, like, you don't mention trade. them. <laughs> but, but, but you know what? I'll, I'll tell you, you know this. I'm a Yankees fan. So I know. The trades that have gone on, you know, it's uh, it's Boo. very exciting time of year. So hopefully the pieces will come together in our puzzle. I, you know? I can't. I don't know. I, I can't continue this. I'm I a do. Mets fan. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to just, I don't know. Jerome, watch out. 
I, well, and thanks I've, for the invite. <laughs> I've got to say, folks, I went back and forth with Doug Cass. I, the Yankees I left for dead, and Jerome, you got to admit, with the trades, this is going to be fun. You know, we always talk about inciting actions for markets. This is definitely an yeah. inciting action for uh, for the for the team. But you know, it's a long yeah. season. It's all stats. We'll see how it comes together. A couple of home yeah. runs, you know, get the ball rolling. So you are uh, in the trenches, Jerome, on a bond desk of global repute, and you get a regime change like this jobs report and its revision. How does your desk think when you get a sea change like this? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, Tom. Regime change is a pretty strong word. Um, I think it, you know, obviously hints at progress and some of that progress we've seen for quite some time, you know, we shouldn't be surprised by that healing process and growth continuing. Uh, and, and necessarily, I don't think it necessarily changes the calculus all that much. Some of it, some gives back from last month. Uh, we clearly see that in a household report. Um, but I think ultimately what it does is puts fairer, it's in the center sites, really your goal, you know, similar to the Yankees trying to get to the World Series, the goal of the Fed is to is to effectively get to the end of the year and get to that point where they view substantial yeah. further progress is being made. And and that's sort of been the mantra that we've been operating here at PIMCO is that, that growth will continue, that you'll see an unemployment rate closer to about four and a half percent by the by the end of the year. And and those things are the metrics which will help that tapering process yeah. be digested rather easily. The concern for us is that digestion, and I think that's the focus for right. us these days. We need to make substantial further progress with a Mets fan, Lisa Bramowitz. <laughs> yeah, Lisa. I was about to say, I take issue at you comparing the Federal Reserve to the Yankees, but I digress. Jerome, I, you, you're talking about the adjustment and how that will occur in markets, and I, I'm just noting that there was a flood of cash into money market funds over the past couple of weeks. There's this move toward a risk-averse stance, and how quickly could that potentially change? Could that potentially get turned on its head if people start to buy into a 4% wage increase year over year, which is what we just got? Yeah, you know, I think there's a few reasons why you've seen general trends. And, and I think if you take a step back, you've actually seen move out of money market funds for the previous few months, and now it's come back slightly. There's a few reasons for that. One, frankly, investors are worried about capital loss. Either some volatility in broader markets and equities and certainty with growth outlooks. That's one area. The second area is simply concerned about higher rates. And so uh, the mark-to-market, if you will, of owning duration, owning interest rate exposure, specifically longer duration, comes with a risk. Sure, you earn income, but you can have loss of that price uh, valuation, and that is potential loss for people who have taken a lot more interest rate risk. Uh, and that and that renewed growth expectation or concerns about inflation really eat into that. And then the second, the third thing really is that inflationary discussion. Uh, yeah. The possibility of negative real returns you've highlighted very many times about the uh, real uh, real rates. Uh, those are real practical implications for investors. So the way to mitigate that is being in those cash elements, and more importantly, trying to navigate. The difference between being at zero cash interest rates where T-bills and, and demand deposits and things like and try to find some modest marginal appetite to close mm. those uh, inflationary headwinds from, from being in cash and not earning returns. So it really is a whole discussion of risk right. mitigation in, in the process here. Let's do a, a modest data check here with the Dow up 151 points. We're out at record highs, 35,215 on the Dow, SPX, 4439. Lisa, I just did a fancy Bloomberg. This is the TE function on the Bloomberg. This is two standard deviations out. How far is up for Standard & Poor's? 4467 
would be a two standard deviation trend move. We're not there, but nevertheless, a nice two tenths percent lift out to a record high SPX. Critically, Lisa, uh, those real yields and bonds, they do move, but don't move all that much off about 9.40 a.m. Just as one measure, the 30-year bond, 1.92%. I had to mention the 30-year bond just because it drives Jerome nuts. That's great. Yeah, but it's right. It's out of his purview. He is focused in the near, here and the now. Uh, and I thought that you'd be really excited to talk about this, Tom, considering that this is the bulk of your portfolio and triple leverage cash. But okay. when we talk about cash, let's talk about corporations and how much cash they have. The fact that they are putting it in the bank at a time when banks are hoping to lend to them and failing. What happens if they start to deploy that cash? What is the mechanics behind that, Jerome? Yeah, I think that's exactly what you want. I would be less concerned about you know how you create that liquidity, et cetera. The, the liquidity is clearly there in those things. But it really translates into growth, and it translates into capital expenditure and, and ways to, to manage it, or delevering balance sheets, which has obviously increased in leverage uh, over the past year, year plus. And so those are probably positive inertia things for for the, for the overall environment, combined with productivity growth, things like that. So while you might see on, on the, in the data, in the minutia of the data, that you know, there, are some moder- there are some wage pressures building specifically in lower areas, there's still pretty, pretty, pretty dominant themes that create some pretty good corporate profitability in those regards. I think you have to, what, what the problem for investors is, is trying to right. reconcile that to really what's the valuations that, that have been already priced into the market. Yeah. And that's where you know, indigestion or, or palatability comes in to try to figure out if that's the right way to take risk, whether it's through credit risk yeah. or equity risk, et cetera. Jerome Schneider, on 944 gazillion dollars of overnight repos, the wall of liquidity out there in what I call the trust market, Jerome Schneider, what does it do in the coming months? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily, Tom, take too much in terms of that number. Uh, okay. There's a few things here. One, you have T-bill supply, which is lower, so people need to find a home for that cash. Fortunately, we have the Fed's reverse repo facility that you mentioned is at $944 billion, and, and it's rather unlimited. There's some pre- potential constraints, but we're not anywhere near that. We would expect that to actually grow to maybe $1.5 trillion before we had any immediate concern. So this is simply finding another avenue of one of the cheapest assets out there at five basis points. Again, cheap being relative, so you're earning five, uh, yeah. you know, five one-hundredths of a percent on that overnight cash. The other side to this is the Fed has been really focused on not only financial conditions, but liquidity conditions. And we've seen them announce this in the standing repo facility back in the FOMC minutes uh, the, past, the past few weeks. And so uh, we actually published a blog post about this this morning that the standard repo, standing repo facility does a lot to alleviate concerns of liquidity on the other yeah. side, meaning providing funding to, to the marketplace. And although it's not perfect, there's some issues with transition uh, transaction mechanisms and how we actually think about it, um, the, the reality is, is that you have comfort on both sides, how to invest cash and how to borrow cash. And so that focus on liquidity is a bright, bright spotlight yeah. on some of the market uh, mechanisms that have been, frankly, weak spots over the past few decades. Jerome, we just have about 30 seconds. Does this apply to the broader Fed balance sheet, that they have to keep it as big as it is or bigger from liquidity perspectives, from technical perspectives? Well, I think that their main focus is making sure markets are stable. I think when they really focus on it, they're going to have to turn their eye to how that liquidity uh, transmission mechanism actually works. And it it, it works in the old old sense, meaning going through through dealers, primary dealers, et cetera. But it doesn't necessarily hit all the end users who are borrowers or have cash. And so I think that that second derivative of where that cash actually ends up in liquidity is just going to become a focus. But 
ultimately for investors, this is a period of very low rates, very low cash for a considerable period of time, and trying to figure out how to manage around that with the Fed's context mm-hmm. is what the, is what the uh, difficult conversation is going to be for the next two years. Jerome Schneider, thank you so much. Head of Short-Term Portfolio Management at PIMCO. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.